If there's a bogeyman for Atletico Madrid fans, a scary figure to whisper about and fear, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He led Real Madrid to two Champions League final victories against Atleti and in 36 appearances against them, the Portuguese superstar has scored 25 goals. This week, he could smash up their Champions League dreams once again, but this time in the colours of Manchester United. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. No reason to fear our resident betting boss, Mark O'Hare. Mark Ronaldo played a key role in the weekend win over Spurs, scoring all three goals in a 3-2 victory. But he wasn't able to make much impact in the first leg of this tie, a one-all draw in Madrid. United faced Atletico at Old Trafford on Tuesday. Firstly, what role do you think Ronaldo might play and can United make it through? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think before the weekend, there was uh, quite understandable calls for Ronaldo to be removed from the starting eleven from Man United because he wasn't contributing enough, um, not just in possession, but also out of possession. We've, you know, it's been done to death elsewhere about his lack of press, um, which obviously hampers Man United in terms of what they're trying to do without the ball, but also in the, in the box, he wasn't exactly contributing. He was going through a really a re- reasonable lean spell, but then he pops up with those three goals, and particularly the, the first one, with the, the one from distance was a beauty. So, um, yeah, there's going to be a buzz now around Old Trafford uh, following that. He'll be filling top of the world if he wasn't already. I'm sure he was, but um, Jaden Sancho, I think, was equally as, as, as vital and, and important at the weekend, and he's continuing his rise under Ralph Rangnick, and it's just nice to we see him. We told people, Mark, we told him we that did. he was going to be good. We did, and it's it's just nice to see a player start to perform to the level you know he's capable of, and he's potentially going to be absolutely vital, probably more so than, than Ronaldo in midweek, but um, you're right, the, the sort of uh, historic um, impact Ronaldo's had against Atletico is bound to have some sort of weight against that uh, Atleti team, but uh, yeah, I mean, United can progress, of course they can, but... Um, you wouldn't want to back them at the prices, I don't think, because the, the market is effectively saying they're ever so slightly better than Atletico. And I think that's quite hard to to kind of uh, justify, to be honest. And I think rather than having to, to sort of select either team, I think it's a, almost a rinse and repeat job from what we saw in the first leg, which is to back both teams to score. Uh, even money on the exchange just seems far too big. And I think there's historical biases being built into those prices. Atleti traditionally being an unders team, being a very defensively minded team, under Simeone, but I think there's factors that far outweigh that. And the first is the obvious one, the second leg of a knockout tie. Historically, goals increase in the second legs compared to the first. Uh, no great science involved there. But uh, also, I just think that, as I said, the buzz from Al Trafford at the weekend, um, you know, United should, in theory, be playing on the front foot here. They shouldn't be taking a defensive approach. They should fancy their chances. Um, and Atleti, um, I think have steadied the ship slightly and I think the return of Jimenez and Savage to that defence has, has improved matters but they're still missing Kondogbia and I think his influence in the midfield does unbalance the team a little bit too so they're still vulnerable themselves um, just the one clean sheet away from home all season in La Liga and the Champions League which is really unathletic like uh, they've conceded twice or more in, in half of their 14 away La Liga games so, um, but also you kind of look to Atleti at the forward end of the field and, and João Felix is arguably in the, in the best form he's been in since arriving at Atletico, another player starting to, to fill his potential. Um, he's 
become effectively the, the first choice uh, on the team sheet, making major impacts. But um, you know, you can look at their form domestically and believe that they've kind of turned the corner. But they are starting to grind a bit um, in terms of what they're doing. They're just getting results and moving on to the next game. Cadiz on Friday night was a great example of that. But you know, they haven't solved their defensive crisis, um, but they are showing signs in the final third. They have the ability, they have the firepower to hurt a United team who, whether it's Maguire, whether it's Varane or, or elsewhere, whether it's just the protection that that defence gets, they're still incredibly vulnerable and fragile. So, you know, I just think... At the price, you know, the market's saying there's a 50% chance of both teams scoring. I think the goal line has been set far too low again. It's about two and a quarter. Um, I just think there's no reason why this game shouldn't feature both teams scoring. United is in great scoring form themselves. They've scored in 20 of the last 22. Both teams have scored in six of their seven Champions League games. BTDS has banked in 62% of their Premier League games. And it's also banked in 61% of Atletico's La Liga matches too. So... You, know, you think both teams arguably in four in the final third, both teams with defensive weaknesses. We've got a second leg knockout tie here. You know, Exclude those historical biases you have over Simeone and Atletico, and I think both teams score is the way to go. The Data Doctor will see you now. Jake Oskarthorpe from InfoGoal here with all of the XG facts and figures. Jake, Atletico are a tough team to predict. Mark's right, even though they've had this four-match winning run in La Liga. There was a moment in that Cadiz game at the weekend where Jan Oblak at 2-1 up for Atleti just flapped a ball that usually he would gather comfortably. So even though Joao Felix is looking really, really sharp up top, there's still that bit of nervousness about them defensively. Absolutely, yeah. This isn't the Atletico team that we've sort of come to love over the last few years. They've been really resilient, mainly built on the back of clean sheets um, in terms of getting results. But... They're looking very vulnerable, um, even still. Uh, throughout the Champions League group stage, we saw them get exposed quite regularly by um, you know, the group of death, is what it was called. I think it's hard to argue. Liverpool are obviously flying uh, at the moment. AC Milan and Porto, both top of their respective leagues. But they still conceded uh, 1.89 expected goals against per game throughout that group stage campaign, which is a really, really poor, um, poor result. And as you said, domestically, they're... Looking very vulnerable um, from all kind of different situations, which is slightly concerning. And I know it's something that Stinch has spoken a lot about recently. Uh, Jan Oblak in his form and the way in which he's uh, sort of massively underperforming his post shot XG, which is the key metric for a goalkeeper in terms of how well they how well they're sort of shot stopping effectively. Um, he's really struggling on that side. But it, you know, the, to be fair to Atletico, they were excellent in that first leg. They really were. Um, it was a bit of a smash and grab performance for Manchester United to come away with a 1-1 uh, draw. And, you know, everything that Mark says, I kind of echo. I, I've got the same bet down. I think both teams to score is, is it should be the favourite in the market. Um, uh, even money, too good to turn down, really, with what we've seen from both these teams uh, recently, both in attack and defence. Because to be fair to Atletico, while they have looked vulnerable defensively, they've, con they've really stepped the game up this season from an attacking standpoint. And I guess... They kind of had to. <laughs> they kind of had to use the attack to paper over the cracks defensively. Um, and it's the same for Manchester United. Uh, I think both these two teams are at their best going forward. Um, and defensively, they probably will get exposed by each other. So both teams to score looks a real bet for me in this one. Odds compiler and betting guru Mark Stinchcombe is back with us. Stinch, it's a really interesting one when you look at Atletico, I guess, because... The temptation is to hark back to the days when they would grind out all of these results. And Diego Simeone has tried 
at various points in his career at Atletico to move them slightly away from that and make them a little bit more expansive. Where are they in that journey at the moment for you? Probably, he probably will end up reverting back to type, I would imagine, because that's the that's what's seen him get success. Um, I don't think this expansive, because I, I think over his tenure, they've bought quite a lot of exciting players going back a long time. Think about um, uh, Jackson Martinez. Um, uh, who else? Um, the the winger didn't they have? A, did they have Alessio Cerchi as well from uh, from Italy? I think they, they brought had... in guys that you looked at and thought, oh, I wonder if that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gel- Joao Felix. Joao Felix is the perfect example of that, I guess, because he was brought in for an enormous amount of money, and people who'd watched him a lot and got excited about him at Benfica looked at that and thought. How's that going to work? And it's it's only in fits and starts that it has worked. And when you listen to Joao Felix in interviews, he kind of always hints at the fact that there is a bit of a stylistic disconnect between what Simeone wants to do and the way he would like to play. Yeah, uh, Gelson Martins, I remember, Vitolo. Um, like these players, like flair kind of players, they've spent money on to try and... I mean, it makes complete sense. If you've got a solid base, then you add a little bit of flair to it, then it should make it even easier to win matches. But it just it just hasn't happened. I mean, even the likes of uh, Angel Correa, it's taken, what, a decade maybe for him to show his like best form or in terms of because he's now able to f- integrate himself fully into into what Simeone wants. I think, honestly, their best route is the sort of... the. F- to- to, to keep the sort of four-man workman-like midfield rather than try and make it a bit more expansive and then rely on, you know, Griezmann for a long period was the guy that was, um, you know, overachieving alongside Diego Costa. Uh, Luis Suarez has been able to, obviously, uh, last season in particular, um, you know, help them win matches that perhaps they shouldn't. So, yeah, I, I think, like, you can kind of understand... Um, why the sort of move towards this but I kind of feel as though they've they've kind of tried it for a while and this season maybe it looks like they've been let down just because of Oblak's dip in form and confidence Um, and the injuries in defence as well Stinch I mean Savic was out Jimenez was out they've struggled to get that back line together haven't they yeah yeah and I think it their their recruitment don't get me wrong I think their recruitment they are trying to recruit the right players but I've, it almost seems like it has to be a very specific type of player and then also they need a lot of time to bed into the system so um, having said all that like I think it's great when I think we're all on the same sheet here I mean the first leg I backed over two goals um, obviously got a push um, I think yeah both teams to, to score as as the lad said when when it's chalked up as the outsider it, you know makes makes plenty of appeal both teams have kept clean sheets in less than 30% of their matches and we've discussed about De Gea and Oblak a lot De Gea massively overachieving and whereas uh, Oblak massively underachieving but I think because he's underachieved for such a long time um, you can't really put that down to various variance I think it comes more down to a lack of confidence and, and a drop in form which is kind of not something you can really put a number on so yeah I think both teams score makes makes complete sense um, 
it's quite good you started off the show with Ronaldo because it, after Saturday it could be another Ronaldo show. Um, we remember a few years ago um, Juventus when Juventus were two 0 down and he scored a yeah. hat trick to to get them through. So I think uh, like at a juicier price, I mean Ronaldo's got 25 career goals against Atletico. Um, at a juicier price, I th- could definitely see a scenario where he scores and and maybe wants to take his shirt off to reveal his physique. Um, seven yellow cards <laughs> against Atleti in his his career and he's already been booked in quite a few big games this season booked against City against Liverpool against Chelsea scored in the last minute um, against Villarreal and got booked in that game as well so you add juicier price the odds aren't available yet on him to to be booked but he's a 13 to 10 to score anytime Um, but that 13 to 10 would go up to something like 8 or 9 to 1 um, for him for him to also be booked I think that could be interesting he's no he's not carrying um, he's not he's not on the tightrope of suspension or anything like that and I think there's every opportunity that his, his ego could get the better of him and um, and he could whip that shit off or even like leave a late challenger and he's left a couple of late challenges in uh, Liverpool on Trent Alexander-Arnold um, against City I think it was a late challenge on somebody late on as well so it's obvious that he does get he is getting frustrated as well so I think um, it, you've got a twofold there of, uh, of him getting frustrated but also the fact that you know uh, if he scores late on he might want to celebrate by removing his uh, shirt well, talking of frustration, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over-under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Elsewhere on Tuesday, Ajax against Benfica 2-2 after the first leg in Lisbon. Ajax are the firm favourites here at 1.43. Mark, is that about right for you? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair enough. Uh, Ajax were a shorter price when they hosted Sporting on match day six uh, in the group phase, and that was a, a dead rubber. So to get a, a bigger price on them to win a second leg knockout tie against a, an inferior team uh, from the same region, then yeah, clearly there's uh, I think there's a reason to believe that Ajax can finish the job here. Uh, I'm actually going to take a, an Ajax-based bet, but also include both teams to score because I think the lead from around 1.43 to 2.46 is significant enough uh, considering the circumstances. We had uh, around about, or just shy of four expected goals in that first leg. It was a really enjoyable match. Um, Loads of entertaining sort of football, both teams going for it. Uh, Plenty of aggression as well. Plenty of sort of uh, incidents. And um, yeah, I mean, it was was a weird match as well. It wasn't a typical game of two halves, but Ajax probably should have made more of the first half dominance and then Benfica were the the main aggressors thereafter. But yeah, Ajax at the moment, I don't think you can have too much confidence in their defensive ability because it's always difficult to sort of judge them based on their Odovisi form, particularly when there's Champions League matches going on in and around there. But uh, for a, for a series of matches now, they have looked a bit wobbly. Obviously conceded two goals in the reverse game. Needed sort of last-minute winners to win 3-2 against Cambor and, and RKC. They also got turned over by go-ahead Eagles immediately after that first half, first leg as well. So, uh, And they're giving away kind of, you know, they're creating loads and loads of chances as they always do. But they are giving away some really good opportunities as well. So both Cambor and RKC each created three chances which are categorised as big chances. Basically when forwards are given a reasonable expected expectation of scoring. I think the XG for those chances tends to be around 0.35, 0.4 or greater. So, you know, big opportunities quite regularly to, to less, lesser teams than Benfica. So, uh, and it's not like they're coasting either domestically, uh, not like, say, PSG and Liga. Uh, they're very much in the thick of a title race of PSV Eindhoven. So that is a concern. However, 
Um, you look at Benfica, uh, if Ajax have got issues defensively, then Benfica's are, are magnified, really. Uh, they're far below the standards being set by Porto or even Sporting, and defensively they have had issues all season. But more recently, it's three clean sheets in 16 across all competitions. Uh, I think I mentioned it before the first leg, but just the, the idea of um, Vertonghen and Otamendi uh, kind of just getting, <laughs> just being up against that Ajax fluid forward line is a is a real concern, whether they get bullied by Allaire or, or get done by the trickery and, and pace and guile of Anthony and, and Tadic. You know, that, that's an issue really for, for Benfica. Uh, however, saying that, going forward, Darwin Nunes, you, you've got always faith in him, kind of causing problems for an opposition defence too. So, yeah, I'm expecting another good game. Um, expect Ajax to get over the line. Wouldn't put Benfica off scoring. That's why I think the 2.46 is is a nice price. I backed it in the first leg, kind of ruining the fact that I didn't get it paid out because I thought Ajax were the better team regardless. Uh, and also kind of building onto what Stinch was talking there about Ronaldo. Uh, we haven't got prices yet, but uh, Carlos Del Chero Grande is the referee, the Spaniard. Uh, a real positive appointment for cards-based backers. Uh, Otamendi and Vertonghen have to be of interest there. Uh, Julian Weigel as well, the, the defensive midfielder, former Dortmund man. Uh, he's going to have a, a tough job kind of stopping that uh, Ajax forward line too. So, um, yeah, I think Otamendi will probably be the, the standout candidate. Doesn't require an invitation to kind of get involved in confrontations if he's not bringing down players or, or making cynical tackles. But, yeah, the first leg was quite feisty, wasn't it? So, fingers crossed for something similar again in Amsterdam. Now I've got wardrobes at home that move more quickly than those Benfica centre-backs. Jake, Ajax aren't certain of winning the Eredivisie. They're being pushed quite hard at the top end of the table. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I I would think at least it's keeping them sharp. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely keeping them sharp, keeping them on their toes, making sure they're match fit. Um, And, you know, keeping the momentum as well. Because if you're winning week in and week out, every five, six days, then... You're going to be in a really good space coming into big games like this. And um, yeah, I'm sorry to be boring, but I've got the same bet as Mark again for this one. <laughs> it's all right. I, I know you haven't cheated. Teams. I know you've got the notepads. I so do. Don't I do worry. Make my notes, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, Stinch, do you want, you want a view, do you? Okay. Uh, <laughs> there, you, there you go. There we go. There we yeah. go. Um, Could have said anything on that. That's going to be a weekly thing now, isn't it? Um, but yeah, the. the the first leg was just a really good game to watch. Uh, both teams just going for it. Uh, and I, and I, there's no reason to think this will be any different because Ajax, in particular, know only one way of playing, one brand of football, and that's very attack-minded. Uh, in the Champions League this season, they've averaged 2.5 expected goals for per game. That rises to 2.6 when playing at home. Uh, and Benfica, generally, uh, in, in Europe's top, top competition this season, have allowed nearly two expected goals against per game. So a really strong attacking team against a really poor defensive team. Um, but as we've said, Ajax are and do leave themselves vulnerable given the, the sort of high intensity press that they put on, the, the way in which they have thrown men forward in, in such a gunko fashion. So yeah, Ajax to win and both teams to score just looks too big. Um, as Mark said, the, the price jump uh, from 1.4 to 2.46 is just too big for a Benfica goal. If later this year the UK gets hit by a massive cyber attack, we'll all be like, oh no, we've lost everything, all our data. Jake will be fine. He'll have (laughs) stacks of notepads. He'll be the winner. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Uh, Stinch, we've had lots of goals in that first leg. The guys seem to think we're going to get goals again. Yeah, I think it it makes sense. It's just trying to find what is value when you look at over 2.5 goals is less than one to three so it's trying to find that maneuverability and then you've got the favorite is four to 11 so you know how how can we try and make that pay um 
I thought it was interesting regarding the match odds because we put Ajax up for the first leg at 1.9 and they went off at 1.7. Um, they just didn't get the job done, but, you know, the value was achieved. Um, so, you know, bank that one down as a, as a good bet and uh, unfortunately you have to move on. But I thought the first leg was probably more balanced than we kind of expected. Um, Benfica outshot Ajax 17 to 11, um, although the game state of trailing since the 18th and the 29th minute may, may have played its part. Um, but I just thought it was quite interesting that I expected Ajax to maybe once they'd taken the second goal to maybe get the tie sewn up there and then go on and score three and four potentially as they've done many times this season. Um, so the fact they've now conceded seven and seven in the Champions League and, and kept just two clean sheets, it definitely strikes me to try and um, get Benfica scoring in, in some in some way. I mean, I've been I've been relatively impressed with their uh, performances post post that first leg. So they beat uh, Vittoria Gamarash 3-0, uh, Porto Menens 2-1, and they, they only drew 1-1 Friday night against Vizela. But they created tons of chances, and what was particularly impressive about that is they were down to 10 men after just seven minutes with Adel Tarap sending off, and yet they still managed 22 shots, racking up almost three expected goals. So... I've kind of taken the lads' bet sort of one step further. So over three and a half goals is four to five, and Benfica to score over 1.5 goals is nine to five. So I thought both teams to score two or more at five to two represented a nice boost. So the lads there are putting up Ajax to win and both teams to score at 2.4. So that means it needs Ajax to win at least 2-1, essentially, or at least Ajax to score two and Benfica to score at least one. I'm saying I just need one more Benfica goal to go from 2.4 to 5 to 2, so 3.5. So I think that's also worth worth chancing in what, you know, given what we saw in the first leg, I don't think it's too too unlikely that it could uh, be a repeat, especially with, um, Mark mentioned Darwin Nunes, but you've also got Yuramchuk, who is uh, obviously Ukrainian as well, so he'll massively be up for it. So um, he, he could easily register another goal as he did in the first leg. On to Wednesday then, Chelsea heading to Lille, even if, as Thomas Tuchel has suggested, the Chelsea coach has to drive the Chelsea coach. Uh, Chelsea 2-0 up from the first leg, despite the off-field distractions that we know about, the UK government sanctioning Roman Abramovich, the Chelsea owner. Despite that stinch, they've actually dealt pretty well with the off-field distractions. I mean, dealt pretty well. They're paid enormous sums of money, right? To... Yeah, true. But uh, it's interesting. I've spoken to some players about this, about the situation and about, look, does that kind of stuff... Obviously, not all of them would have been at clubs that would have had the owner sanctioned. But... They've had, you know, financial difficulty at clubs and what have you, uncertainty about the future. And they've said that it does, not with all players, but it does affect some players more than others. So, you know, nobody's, you know, playing the violin for them. But to fully focus on football still takes a bit more than usual. Yeah, I think probably everybody in life's had a bit of practice with the the last couple of years, given the pandemic and all the uncertainty that that brings. So I imagine this is... Not food and drink, but uh, certainly like just an, you know another another distraction in in life that uh, maybe they are a, maybe football's a, a good distraction um, to to not have to focus on that sort of thing. Um, but then you know, these are all sort of things you can't really quantify. So um, you know we've only had what uh, two two games I think since since the sanctions were imposed. So I'm not going to read anything or read too much into those. Um, might be a little bit boring here, but uh, Chelsea is 17-20 to 20 away to Lille and over-under is each of the two. 
I've got in uh, massive letters written down here. I'm not on paper, so I, I can't show Jake, I'm afraid. But uh, massive letters, no bet, basically. Um, because of the tie dynamic, if Chelsea are only winning 1-0, um, yeah, then I'd maybe try and find an angle. But because of because of being 2-0 up, in my mind, it's impossible to try and predict what they're going to try and do here. Are they going to try and go out and win the game? Are they going to try and manage the tie? Or is it going to be a combination of both? And then on the opposite side, on Lille's side, are they going to go for it from the off? Or if it's still nil-nil after half an hour, are they kind of just going to give up? Or again, is it going to be the combination of the both? This is not just Lille v Chelsea. This is how I would be for, for most games where the big favourite's taking a 2-0 lead. I just think it just creates too many scenarios in my mind. If Chelsea are only 1-0 up, I might look at the possibility of them potentially sitting back and thus look, is there any value in siding with Lille to, to win, to qualify, to score first at maybe bigger prices? I just as I say, I just think in these in these spots where the big favourites got a commanding lead, I just think it creates too much volatility. I think perfect examples of what happened last week, you look at City 5-0 up from the first leg and then going on to draw 0-0 with Sporting. Liverpool 2-0 up here from Inter in the first leg and then going on to lose 1-0 at home. I mean, they were 2-9 to nine and 4-7. to seven. Like, you'd have, you'd have got uh, very good odds on the draw and obviously into winning the match in a double, for example, or even the singles. Um, so, yeah, for, in my mind, like, in in, uh, in in cup competitions, I just think there's too much volatility to be able to, like, nail, nail you, like my sort of flag to a particular mask. A flag to a mask there. Mask. That's what I was, was going to say. I I, I'm not digging, digging around for any other <laughs> verbs. I thought that might have been a twist on a Jake classic. <laughs> um, uh, Mark, this this is an interesting one, as Stinch says. And we always say this, don't we? That if, if there isn't a bet you fancy, there's absolutely nothing wrong with not having a bet and actually just walking away from that particular game. The interesting thing for me here is the Lille situation. Because as Stinch absolutely said, is right to say... You know, how are they going to approach it? Are they going to go for it? Are they going to dig in and try and stay in it? They've been keeping a lot of clean sheets recently. They have looked a bit more solid, but it's not about them being solid. They actually have to try and attack Chelsea at some stage. Yeah, they do. It's a really tricky one to unpack. I mean, um, I've seen the first leg being described as a really comfortable Chelsea win. I'm not sure it was that comfortable. I thought Chelsea deserved to win, but... I thought Lille put up a decent fist of things. Um, Havertz obviously had a few opportunities before he scored and from then Chelsea are in control. But Chelsea's sort of leading lights that night were N'Golo Kante and, and Thiago Silva, which kind of tells you how the match went really. Lille offered plenty uh, between both boxes, but just lacked the composure, lacked the final ball to really hurt Chelsea. Um, they won the shot count 15-9. They won the corner count as well. So they are awkward opponents, but... I just feel the dynamics now are, are, are against them massively because they want to play on the, the counter-attack. They want to contain and counter and that option's probably going to be taken away from them now because Chelsea are, are protecting something. And we've seen Chelsea have, I wouldn't call it problems, but they've had uh, reasonable issues kind of breaking down deep-line defences in recent weeks. Uh, I think back to Palace away at Selhurst Park. Uh, even Burnley, I you know they won the match 4-0 at Turf Moor, but it took them a long time to make that breakthrough. Uh, and then also at the weekend there against Newcastle, who definitely did pack the, the defence of a five-man rear guard and, and asked Chelsea to try and unlock them. So um, I think Chelsea will obviously relish the open spaces, the freedom that they get if Lille do kind of go on the front foot from the off. Um, so it's difficult to know what you're going to get from, from Lille in terms of uh, tactical approach. But uh, yeah, they are trending in the right direction. 
slowly have been moving in the right direction for a few weeks, a few months now under Guvernex after that dreadful start. But do they have the X factor um, without kind of running in behind the Chelsea defence to to cause problems? And, that, and that's questionable, I think. I think they, they would prefer this match to be a bit more open. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from a Chelsea perspective as well, you've now got uh, Rhys James out injured again, which... Uh, negates their sort of flanks, uh, their, their threat from the flanks. Um, but the system seems to be working without Lukaku. Um, Havertz and Go seem to be having some great joy playing in that system too. So, yeah, I mean, PSG went off around 1.65 here a few weeks back and they, they tore the place up really. But uh, I'm not expecting Chelsea to have so much joy. Uh, but I think the price from 1.65 PSG to sort of 1.9, 1.95 on Chelsea is, is understandable because Chelsea don't need to win. And I think in these situations, you don't want to be backing a team away from home, odds on, regardless of who they are and who they're playing because they don't need to win with that advantage. So, yeah, I, I agree with Stinch that the best bet is probably no bet here. Jake, Mark just mentioned Kai Havertz. We talked about Jaden Sancho as a, a Bundesliga alumnus that has done started to do very well in the league like we knew he would. Kai Havertz is having a great spell at the moment. If you're not looking at anything in the match odds, if they're a bit confusing, looking at things like goal scorer bets, Kai Havertz to score or maybe even have a couple of shots on target, is that where you kind of gravitate towards if the main match odds markets and things like that are a bit more confusing? Potentially, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the same camp. It's a hat-trick of no bets for me. It's just a really difficult tie to try and get your hand, uh, get your head around um, in terms of this sort of setup, with how teams are going to play, styles, etc. I think the guys have already gone through that. But yeah, if you if you're looking um, it, for a player angle, I, I mean, I definitely would wait until the team news is announced because Havertz is in such good form. There's every chance he's, he's held back for the weekend, so he's fresh. Um, you know, in which case Lukaku might get a start. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's a, it, Lille did, they, they played all right in that first leg. Um, Chelsea were the team that created the better chances than deserved to. Oh, is Stinch that, is holding up no bet. He's gone, he's gone paper now. I thought we were supposed to be moving to a paperless society, but Stinch has gone the other way. You've convinced him. Yeah, and, and that was a massive waste of paper. One sheet's gone there just for no bet. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's how comedy, no bet Comedy has Stinch. its costs. Don't worry, yes, it's fine. yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very little, little else to add. Um, the, the guys haven't already said. Uh, watching brief for me on this one. I think the, the other tie on Wednesday will be much more entertaining. There's a lot more um, still in the balance, uh, and I'm sure we'll get onto that now. Well, he's, he's dictating show policy here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at this. Jake's taken over as the host. Well, actually, Jake, before we get there, I have to tell people that our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet, tw- bet £10 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. For the next hour on the show, we're going to talk about the EFL, uh, mainly League <laughs> 2, uh, and then we're going to do a section on the Latvian uh, top flight. Oh, Jake, you wanted to talk about another game. Uh, <laughs> finally, what Jake's right, it could be the most fascinating tie of the week. Villarreal up against Juventus in Turin. The tie is level at 1-1. Comfortable 3-1 win uh, for Juve at the weekend with uh, Dusan Vlajevic only on the bench for that one. So resting him for this big game. Villarreal beat Celta Vigo 1-0. But Jake Villarreal, who you've waxed lyrical about in terms of their home form recently, but away from the Ceramica, they're not quite the same team. They're not. No, they they are 
you could say, well, a lot more vulnerable defensively, particularly. Uh, Allowing 1.4 expected goals against per away game in La Liga, 1.95 in the Champions League. Um, and they're coming up against a, a Juventus team that are beginning to look more and more like a, a, an Allegri side and becoming very difficult to beat. Not flashy, but efficient. Uh, they're unbeaten in 15 league games. They've won 10 of those, but none of those have come by more than a three-goal margin. So they've all been 2-0 at the maximum or 3-1. Um, and while Villarreal were competitive in that first leg, it just felt as though the Juventus had another gear um, uh, that they could have clicked into if needs be. But you know, I'm fully expecting them to prevail here Juventus I think they've got uh, the better individuals I think they're, they're now more well organised they've got uh, the best player on the pitch really in, in Dusan Vlavic if he gets the start um, and yeah I, I thought the, I was surprised to see them at nearly even money on the exchange I thought they'd be a little bit shorter than that to, to win this home leg um, and that for me uh, was a, a nice easy selection because I do think that they will come through this game yeah, Mark, we've spent a fair bit of the season beating up on Juve, but as Jake says, they've won the last four games in all competitions. They haven't lost at all uh, since they lost to Inter in the Super Cup in January, haven't lost in Serie A since November. Old school uh, Juve, who were annoying for the rest of the league, are back, aren't they? People were uh, overjoyed from a neutral standpoint when they were struggling, but they're starting to edge back to be the Juve we know. They are, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I don't like, I like to see Juventus sort of prosper or do well, but, you know, it's a, it's a long shot, a big long shot, but there's still an opportunity for them to even win the Scudetto with teams above them stumbling at times, and you wouldn't put it past them, to be honest. And before we do kind of sort of heap too much praise on them, it's worth kind of giving them a bit of um, their own medicine, really, because I think they got what they deserved in the first leg, to be honest. After scoring that early goal... Um, they banned down the hatches, effectively moved to a back five after scoring, offered literally nothing for the rest of the game. And, and you know, Villarreal had their opportunities, hit the post. And then when they did equalise, Juventus switched off for the equaliser. And then Vlajevic's shot from outside the penalty area in the 85th minute was only their, their second shot on target in that match. So, yeah, I mean, Allegri has done a lot right since he's gone there. And it's taken time to get that machine moving in the right direction. But... I think he deserves a bit of criticism for that performance in the first leg because from that position you would expect to see the game out or at least show a bit more in the final third. But yeah, actually, you know, across all competitions, I'm beaten in 90 minutes now since November. There's always that element of pragmatism about what Allegri does in this Juventus team. But defensively, they have really sort of uh, solidified, just conceded multiple goals twice in 24 Champions League or, or Serie A games. Um, Chiellini trained on Sunday, so that's another player back. Remember, before the first leg, they had loads of defensive players missing through injury or, or suspension, and, and now they're back available as well. So the squad is looking stronger, and I think more importantly, they have the X-factor in, in attack in, in Vlajevic, which I think has been missing before January. Uh, still a few question marks over the ability of that midfield to, to create Opportunities. I think there's a huge amount of reliance on Cuadrado from, from from the flanks or Locatelli in midfield um, to feed Vlajevic, particularly without uh, Chiesa and Dybala. But Dybala trained at the weekend. Whether he'll be playing here, I'm not sure. But you kind of compare and contrast to Villarreal. Um, I just think the continued absence of, of Gerard Moreno is, is a big blow for them. They've, they've shown throughout the campaign that they can play some really good football. They can create opportunities. But just a bit too inconsistent in the final third to be reliable. Um, Paco Alcacer is out as well. So you're looking at Dan Juma down the, down the middle, probably Trigueros and, and Chiquese from the flanks. So plenty of ability, plenty of trickery, plenty of pace. Um, the Celso at the tip of the diamond as well. But 
yeah, just not enough, uh, I say reliability, but just, just consistency there in the final third. We saw Man United home and away. They were the better team, but, but didn't win that match. Juventus as well didn't win the match. Uh, and also their, their sort of issues are possibly even worsens because of Raul Albiol and, and Capu are, are also injury doubts now as well. And that would rob two key players down the spine of that side as well and weaken them even further. So I think everything points to Juve, um, but I don't expect them to do this um, Comfortably, I think Villarreal can be very competitive in Turin. So actually, um, I wouldn't be too surprised to see this match go the distance. And I don't personally want to back Juve at, at odds-on quotes just because Sunay Emery, we know what he's capable of in these knockout matches. So I've kind of taken two bigger prices and kind of dutching them. So basically, Juventus to win by exactly one goal is 5-2. to two, uh, And the match to be decided in extra time is 12-5. to five. So trying to rule out penalties and just hope we get a winner in, in sort of 120 minutes or Juve win this back by one goal. And I think if you kind of dutch the two, you get a reasonable price, a bigger price than just backing Juventus to win. When Football Italia was on Channel 4, I had a Juventus kit. I had a Del Piero top and they were quite popular at the time, but they've been so mercilessly dominant of Serie A in the last decade or so. I think a bit of that sheen has maybe worn off. Uh, Stint Juve, the 1.98 favourites here, as the guys have mentioned. How do you assess that? And it's interesting that Mark talks about the Unai Emery factor because I'm always interested to hear what you think about those kind of things that are difficult to quantify when you're throwing them in because Emery over two legs, we know, is a successful guy. He's proven that time and time again. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the the draw here, to be honest, because I feel like both of these two teams are a bit a bit conservative, in, especially yeah. in the big games. Um, and, that's, uh, and that's not just based on the first leg. I think seen it multiple times for both sides over the course of this season and and even going back to last season you think about uh Juve they faced all of Milan into Napoli Atalanta Roma and Villarreal this year and they've only recorded one win the other the others have all been five draws and then you look at Villarreal in the in the big games this season they've drawn all four matches against Real Madrid and Atletico you look at them in Europe uh, obviously drew against Juve drew with Atalanta should have got a draw at Old Trafford but for the the 94th minute Ronaldo goal and um, they went all the way to penalties against Chelsea in the UEFA Super Cup and all the way to penalties against United in the Europa League final last year and then also drew with Arsenal in the semis of that competition en route to the final. So, yeah, I think both teams, I mean, you only have to look at the goals expectancy. So you see under two and a half goals is four to six. That tells you everything you need to know that everybody thinks it's going to be a low scoring game. And I just think if you think it's going to be a low scoring game, it makes sense to kind of back the draw at sort of 3.45 rather than the unders. I mean, you back unders, you get nil, nil, one, nil, two, nil either way and one, one. So if you back the draw, you're only losing those one, nil and two, nil score lines and you're gaining almost sort of two units. And I think if you fancy a low-scoring game anyway, I don't think you're really envisaging if one of the team goes 1-0 up, they'll continue to attack and create that open game. You know, if Juve go 1-0 up, I think they'll try and manage it. And Villarreal especially, I think they'll try and manage it if they went 1-0 up. So I think it kind of almost says... Well, there's either going to be no more games, it's going to finish, and no more goals, it's going to finish 1 0, or the opposition, or you've basically got the opposition on side for however, however long is left to get back to 1 1. And then I think both teams probably take extra time at that point. So, in my mind, I think that's, I think that's the, the kind of way to go. I mean, that first leg, uh, and the, 
there's a sort of low low uh, quality chances. Uh, Villarreal managed just nine shots. Juve managed just seven. Um, the keepers, both keepers, were forced into just three saves combined. Um, the expected goals was less than 1.5. There's just one big chance with Danny Perejo's goal. So I think, um, yeah, a very. I think it's going to be a very cagey encounter. I mean, I said before the first leg, I fancied this could go all the way to penalties, and I've seen nothing to change my mind. So I think at a bigger price, um, you can Dutch Juventus to win on penalties at nine to one, and Villarreal to win on penalties at ten to one, and get around about just under nine to two that the match goes to penalties. So if you had a, a ten pounds, for example, you could place like five pound thirty ish on Juve on penalties and the £4.70 on Villarreal by penalties and it comes out just under 9-2 to two if the match was to go to penalties and uh, yeah I think I th- honestly I think this this could be a yeah, really really proper old school KG encounter especially now they've got rid of the away goals rule I mean the away goals rule was brought in to encourage teams to attack so I think if anything both of these teams will just continue to 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 go defence first and just try and take advantage of a chance if it pops up. But are those chances going to pop up against two compact teams? Not sure. I love the idea that on Wednesday night, Stinch will be desperately pushing for penalties and Mark will be uh, screaming for exactly the opposite. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. Just one final question, actually, Stinch, because you were talking about the draw. This might be an unfair question to throw at you, actually. But if you're in a situation where you've backed the draw at the start, at what point in the game, if you're starting to think, oh, this is getting a bit dicey, actually, and the game opens up, even though for all the reasons you mentioned, it may not do. But if for whatever reason it does, what's a good time in the match for somebody to maybe trade out of that position? Um... Well, if you back the draw at the beginning, you're realistically, um, unless it's maybe just the first 10 minutes and there's been a host of chances and the goal expectancy has gone up as as a result, you're always going to have a positive cash out value. So you've always got that on your side, that the draw is always going to decay from the beginning of the game if there are no goals being scored. Um, If I've backed the draw pre-match, which I don't tend to do, but I'm just, I think this is like just one of those spots. It's one of those unique spots. Um, And I think I'm probably only sort of going into it. Probably, probably I've been forced into it because of the away goal rule that kind of finally sort of nailed it to me that this, this is the right way to go. Um, I would probably, I would be happy because all of my sort of pre-match analysis is based on long-term of data. You know, I'm going back, even going back to last season with, with, uh, with Villarreal away at Arsenal. So, and the sort of volatility that a game might have some chances is kind of built into, already built into my thought process. Right, okay. Me as a gambler, I would be happy, I would happy, I'm, 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 predominantly a pre-match gambler anyway so um there'll be a lot of the time where i won't watch won't watch a match um because real life kind of gets in the way or there's you know you can't watch every single match that you have a bet on for example so a lot of the time i'll play mark's looking a bit sheepish there because i think he probably (laughs) does watch every game (laughs) um So a lot of time I'll place my pre-match bet and then I'll just look at the result full time and look at what's actually happened in the game and look at the closing prices, etc. and draw my conclusions from that. So, but if I am watching the game, there will be some odd occasions that I might um, that I might trade out, but this would be very unique circumstances. So let's say a sending off, because in my yeah. mind, a sending off completely changes the game. Um, 
you, you, we all know that we expect probably the team with more men to go on and win, but that we all know that isn't the case. Um, in a draw, it depends what the score is. If it is the draw at the time, maybe the draw is more likely because you know for a fact one team will stop attacking. But I think just with uh, sending off, it just throws up so much volatility that in my mind, I don't mind um, taking my money and moving on to the next game. Because let, let, let's face it, you know, we're talking about Champions League um, second leg matches. Premier League's a 38-game season, uh, Serie A, 38 games, etc., etc. There's so many more opportunities to, to, to get value bets. So there's nothing wrong with cashing out and moving on to the next match or whatever the next uh, value bet throws up. You know, like we said, no bet in Lille v Chelsea. Nothing wrong with that. There might be something better yeah. that pops up in League Two on uh, on Tuesday night instead of Lille v Chelsea. You know, something else that is that is thrown up as a, as a good value bet. So there's absolutely no harm. So yeah, I'll be in, I'll be interested in here what the what the other guys think. But yeah, I think I think as a, a in me and my mind of the way I bet, I'm happy to let let the bet run because games that games that have chances in are part and parcel of football. But yeah, red card for sure. I would definitely look to trade out. Yeah, Jake, we haven't got loads of time, but just quickly on that, what would your strategy be for that scenario? Um, personally, I'd never cash out because there's only one winner, and that's the bookmaker over the long run. That's just my own opinion. So even if there is a okay, red card... Okay, that's interesting. <clears throat> yes, yeah, you see a lot of people cashing out accumulators and um, single bets for small profits. And over the long run, if you've got the right edge, then if you let them run, you're going to make a profit anyway. So um, that that's sort of my stance on it. And uh, I think it happened at the, to me at the weekend. I think I was betting on the team that had a red card um, after about, I think it was Accrington. And uh, they had a red card after 60 minutes, but because I got them shorter than what they were um, then at the start of the game, I was just confident that over the long haul, um, that, that, that edge is sustainable and it's going to generate me money either way. So yeah, that's my opinion. Uh, using the phrase sustainable edge is a Mark Stinchcombe trademark. Sorry. And oh, his no. lawyers, as we speak, are mobilising. So, yeah. Jake, I'd start uh, raiding the piggy bank if I was you. Uh, yeah. And Mark, just finally, a, a quick one on that in terms of cashing out and that draw kind of scenario that we've talked about. Uh, very much the same as what the lads have said. Uh, I don't cash out for the same reasons that Jake's talked about. But um, in terms of back in the draw, uh, I'm not a big trader either. So um, it's just a personal preference from my perspective. I I like to do my my my, my work pre-match, and I like to see how my bets unfold. And you know, sometimes you'll win those occasions, sometimes you'll lose. So uh, it is what it is. And I prefer just to take pre-match positions and and watch the play, watch the games um, unfold. And yeah, I probably watch about eighty to. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, but there we go. Life gets in the way unless you're Mark O'Hare. Uh, so this is always the good thing, you see. Lots of different views, lots of interesting insights. Some people will cash out and use that facility and find it very useful. Other ones will steer clear of it. And not having a bet is always a viable option. Now, that's all we have time for on this Champions League edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember every single Champions League game gets its own dedicated preview on betting.betfair.com as the Cheltenham Festival this week. Betfair's got all of the best coverage, whether it's on our podcast network or on betting.betfair.com. Tipsters, trainers, jockeys, you name it. We've got their insight on betting.betfair.com. From Stitch, from Mark, from Jake and from me, it's goodbye for now.